invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. As we consider this chapter this morning, and we've read Ruth for our second reading, but as always, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this passage as we work our way through it. We saw last week at the beginning of chapter 2 that Ruth and Naomi were in a desperate situation. They were both widows, both poor, and Ruth uh, was a Moabite. She's a foreigner. Uh, So that means that many in Israel would uh, not have shown her kindness, perhaps in the way that they would have shown a Naomi kindness. And so this is why, as we saw last week from chapter 2, when we see... uh, the kindness that Boaz shows toward Ruth, it is such amazing grace that he shows her. And chapter 2 details the many kindnesses that Boaz shows Ruth. We see that Boaz encouraged her to stay on his land and to glean, which meant that she could pick up whatever the harvesters dropped or whatever the harvesters left in the field, she could pick that up and and take it home and and use it for food. Boaz, we saw, even instructed his harvesters to purposely leave some of the sheaves. Those were the bundles of grain that they uh, gathered the crop in, to leave some of the sheaves on purpose so that Ruth could help herself uh, to them. He gave her protection. He gave her water to drink. And he even invited her to eat with him, to sit at table with him. And and she ate, we read chapter 2 last week, she ate until she was satisfied. And she even had some left over. Such amazing grace, such amazing kindness from uh, Boaz. And even Ruth didn't expect this from him. As we read her response in chapter 2, verse 10, then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth there, realizing that she has no merit, no standing before this man, and yet he is so kind toward her. So when Ruth returned home to Naomi that day, she had 50 pounds of grain, several weeks' worth of food. This was an astonishing, it was a remarkable amount for a poor widow to earn simply from gleaning in one day. And Naomi, her mother-in-law, after seeing the abundance of grain that Ruth brought home, we read in chapter 2, verse 19, she asks, where did you glean today? Where did you, where did you get all of this, this abundance? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And this is where we see Boaz's identity revealed. The Naomi said to her daughter in verse 20 of chapter 2, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. And it's with that revelation there in chapter 2, verse 20, that Boaz, one of the redeemers, 
is uh, revealed, one of the redeemers within Naomi's family is revealed. It's within that context that I want us to consider our first point this morning, the calculated faith that Ruth and uh, Naomi showed toward uh, the Lord, the calculated faith that they had. Because as we consider this first point, we need to understand what a redeemer was under the old covenant. As Naomi said to Ruth, this man is one of our redeemer. What does she mean? What was she referring to? Well, the title redeemer is often referred to as kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. Uh, That word kinsman is who the man is. It referred to the fact that the kinsman was part of the family. He was uh, a blood relation. Uh, You know, we don't really use the word kin, uh, especially in Southern California, to speak about family members. Uh, But this is where this idea of kinsman was derived from. So this, the kinsman redeemer was from the family, and the redeemer aspect of the title referred to his role. And when we talk about what redemption meant, there's a few basic things that the kinsman redeemer was responsible to do, and there are four specific things. The first was the kinsman redeemer was responsible for redeeming property, uh, buying back property. If, for example, a a relative lost his property because of financial hardships, uh, because of debt, things like that, it was the kinsman redeemer who was, again, from the family who would come in and who would purchase the land and he would return it to the person that was forced to sell it. He would return the land to the person that lost their land because of debt. And he would do this by buying the land back. We read this in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. That's the first thing, redemption of property. Secondly, uh, the kinsman redeemer was to redeem a, a person, a person who might have fallen into slavery. So if, uh, for example, a relative was experiencing financial hardship and was forced to sell himself or herself into slavery in order to pay off a debt. You know, they didn't have debtor's prison. Uh, If you didn't pay your debt, you had to work it off, and and that involved slave labor. Um, So if if this happened, it was the kinsman redeemer of that family who would buy the relative out of slavery and thereby set the person free. Uh, We read in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 47, the description of this. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed, right? He may be bought back. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. So the kinsman redeemer was to buy back property, buy back family members, uh, we see thirdly that they were also from the scriptures uh, to uh, redeem blood, to avenge blood, we might say. Uh, The kinsman redeemer was also an avenger. So, for example, when a relative in the family was murdered, it was the kinsman redeemer who was to exact justice and to protect the honor of the family, right? They didn't have 911 depended on one another. 
And it was the kinsman redeemer who was to come in and help and, and seek out justice uh, for those who uh, had been um, shown an injustice. And fourthly, the kinsman redeemer was uh, required to preserve the family line. It's required to preserve the family line. So when a man in the family died and left no male children to inherit his property uh, and to carry on his name, it was the kinsman redeemer who was to marry the widowed woman and then to father a son with the widowed woman. And the first son born out of that relationship was then considered considered to be the son of the dead relative. And then he would carry on them his father's line and inherit his father's property. And so you see the kinsman redeemer, in order to fulfill these four responsibilities, we see that he had to be related by blood. He had to be from the family. He had to be a relative. Uh, And he also, we have to understand, he had to be wealthy enough to redeem. He had to be wealthy enough to be able to buy the property, to be able to buy the person out of slavery. And thirdly, we know that he had to be willing to step up and to take this responsibility. So he had to be a relative, related by blood. He had to be wealthy enough, and he had to be willing. And so when Naomi said to Ruth, this man, looking, you know, thinking about Boaz, this man is one of our redeemers, she meant that you know, Boaz fits all of these requirements. And these two women, we know, were in desperate need of a kinsman redeemer. See, neither of them had sons to carry on the family line. They had both lost husbands. Naomi had not only lost her husband, but had lost her two only sons. And as we'll see in chapter 4, verse 3, Naomi also had land that she was selling out of necessity to buy food because the harvest was running out. And so she needed money to buy food. And so this land would need to be redeemed. And so these two women needed a redeemer. And it was Boaz. It was Boaz who fit the requirements. Because, see, Boaz was a relative by blood. We learned earlier in the book of Ruth, that he was from Elimelech's clan. You remember who Elimelech was. He was Naomi's late husband. He was the father of Ruth's late husband. You read in chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. See, all of a sudden the connection between Elimelech and Boaz is made clear in the book. And... Not only was Boaz a close relative, bloodline, but we know that he was also wealthy enough to redeem. He was able to do it, right? Uh, It seems like he had money. If we think about all that we've noted about Boaz in chapter 2, he had his own fields. Uh, He had plenty of food to be able to be so generous toward Ruth, even sending her home with food. Uh, And he had workers to work his field. So, you know, he seems like he had the means to be their redeemer. Relative, he had the means. The question now, see, the question now was, would he be willing to be their 
kinsman redeemer, and specifically Ruth's kinsman redeemer. See, that's the question before Ruth and Naomi. Would this man that had shown Ruth and Naomi through Ruth so much kindness, would he be the kinsman redeemer and would he redeem these poor and needy women? And we read in chapter 3 that both Naomi and Ruth went about seeking to find out, to answer this question. As the story unfolds, Ruth followed her mother-in-law's advice and after perfuming and adorning herself with fine clothing, she hid herself in Boaz's threshing house until he was asleep. Ruth then uh, positioned herself, we read, at Boaz's feet, and it was there that he waited for him to uh, notice her. I want to ask, you know, as we consider that this morning, what was Ruth doing? Right? So as we read chapter 3, first thoughts we might have is, this is kind of scandalous, right? Uh, this is, seems rather inappropriate. Right? Uh, she's being a little too forward, uh, we might say. Uh, and, you know, what we have to see is that she wasn't doing any of these things. She wasn't being scandalous or, or inappropriate. Um, because we need to keep in mind as we read chapter 3 that uh, throughout the book of Ruth, you know, Ruth is portrayed as a virtuous and a very godly woman. Um, in verse 11 of chapter 3, for example, Boaz will refer to Ruth as a worthy woman who was praised in the city gates. Meaning, Boaz means that, you know, all those who knew about Ruth and who knew her personally knew that she was virtuous and godly. You know, this is the same language that we see in Proverbs 31. Uh, Proverbs 31, which is the description of the woman who fears the Lord, that she is praised in the city gates that everyone speaks well of her. Well, Ruth was like that woman, right, that is described in Proverbs 31. She was virtuous, she was godly, and everyone knew it. And so Ruth was not being scandalous here with Boaz. And, you know, when we think about Boaz himself, we know that he was also a very godly man. He was God-fearing. He was honorable. We see that from the way that he treated Ruth. So much kindness and so much uh, grace. And so what Ruth was doing here in chapter 3 is that she was not seducing Boaz, but what she was doing is she was showing him that she wanted to be redeemed. She wanted him to be her kinsman redeemer. She wanted to be his wife. You know, what Ruth was doing is she was deliberately reaching out to her Redeemer. She was intentional, we see. She was very calculated. And she reached out to Boaz because she knew that he was able to provide what she needed. This is calculated faith. So what we need to have is we reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we consider our relationship to Christ, we are given the gift of faith by grace alone. We are given the gift of faith so that we too might reach out to our 
Redeemer to the Lord Jesus and do so in a very calculated and very thoughtful way. Ruth knew Boaz. He had shown her so much kindness. She knew his kindness. And so when she approached him, you know, we see that she did it very intentionally. And so often when people think about uh, faith, they think about faith as a blind leap. Sometimes they describe it as you know, reaching out into the dark and really not knowing what you're grasping at. Well, some people might describe faith. But, you know, that is not what faith is. We learn in the Bible and from our uh, confession and catechisms, we learn in the Bible that faith is a gift from God and it involves knowledge, first of all. It involves knowing who our Redeemer is from the Bible as the Lord Jesus Christ is described as our Redeemer. It involves knowing him from Scripture. And then it involves a sense, believing then that what we know about him is true. And thirdly, it involves trusting in him personally. See, it is anything but reaching out into the dark. It is anything but blind faith. It involves knowledge and assent and trust in him. And so we see that when Ruth went to Boaz, she expressed this form of calculation. She knew what she was doing. It was intentional faith. We see that it was also covenant faith. As she approached Boaz, secondly, we see that she did so not only on her feelings and not only based on her emotion, but she approached him based on what she knew his covenant responsibilities were. We read in verse 9, that Boaz awoke and said, Who are you? You can imagine the room was dark, probably no nightlight, no candles burning because you don't want the grain to catch fire. As Boaz awakes and there's this woman next to him, Who are you? And Ruth's response, I am Ruth. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth gets right to it. You are a redeemer, and I need you. I need you to redeem me. You may remember that in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, uh, when Boaz first met Ruth, he said said to her, you know, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother, and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. And Boaz says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Boaz says, Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And notice now, when Ruth approaches Boaz on that night, she used the same line on him. She says here in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You know, in essence, what Ruth was saying to Boaz was, be the answer to the prayer that you prayed for me and fulfill your obligations to me as my kinsman redeemer. We see Ruth's great faith here. Uh, Christopher Ashe, he's an Old Testament scholar, he explains the connection here with Christ. He says, you know, faith is grounded in covenant promises. 
It is not a subjective personal quality or, or capacity that some people have and others don't. Faith is rather a conscious decision to trust what God has promised. So Ruth does not rest her hope on her own attractiveness or some possible sexual chemistry between her and Boaz. Christopher Ash explains here, we have no idea, and we don't want to read into it, right? We have no idea whether or not such chemistry was present. We don't know if Boaz had romantic feelings for Ruth or if Ruth had such feelings for Boaz. We don't know these things. Maybe there were such feelings, such attraction. Maybe there wasn't. The point is that Ruth grounds her appeal on covenant promises. See, by virtue of being a relative of Elimelech, Boaz had a covenant obligation to raise up offspring for Elimelech. And what Ruth was doing is she was calling on Boaz. She was calling on him to act on his covenant responsibilities. In the same way, loved ones, we need to remember that our Redeemer, Christ, is covenantally bound to us. He is covenantally bound to us, just as Boaz was to Ruth. Christ is our Redeemer. And, you know, so often, again, when people think about faith, they relate faith simply to feelings. In fact, you may have heard this from unbelievers. They'll often say, you know, it's okay for you to have faith, but I'm just not wired that way. I'm I'm more logical. I'm more thoughtful. I, I like to be more rational. They're equating faith with feelings. But faith is not just feelings. It is knowing. And it involves clinging to promises that God has given us in Christ. See, we need to know that Christ has purposefully loved ones. He's purposefully covenanted, promised to redeem us. You know, when we are uh, struggling with assurance, wondering, does God still love me? Because I don't feel loved by God at this moment. We all go through those seasons, don't we, loved ones? When we are experiencing those doubts, we must not think of our faith as void, as though it's all over. No, that's not what we are supposed to do. We need instead to remember that Christ covenanted with God the Father and God the Spirit to save us from our sins. And he did this before you and I were even born. He did this in eternity past where he entered into this saving relationship, this uh, saving covenant where the Father elected a people. Christ agreed to redeem the people and the Holy Spirit agreed to apply the benefits of Christ to God's elect. And then in the fullness of time, he came. And he was veiled in flesh, and he accomplished what he had covenanted to accomplish, what he had promised to do. So just as Ruth looked at Boaz and said, you are my redeemer, according to the law of Moses, loved ones, faith in Christ calls us in the promises to which God has committed himself in Christ. It calls us to call upon those promises and to stand Upon those promises. See, true faith is to say to Christ, You promised to be a redeemer. 
to me. Now do what you have promised. We see her calculated faith, her covenant faith, and now we see thirdly her confident faith. As Boaz revealed to Ruth a complication in her plans. There's another redeemer, another redeemer who is closer than Boaz is, who has the first right to accept or to refuse the obligation that they had according to the law. Uh, This closer redeemer, Boaz says, would need to be approached first before he and Ruth could be married. Boaz, we see, assured Ruth. He gave her this assurance that he would talk to this redeemer, and if this other man did not fulfill his obligations, Boaz would do it himself. It says in chapter 3, verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And you know, we have read chapter 4, but you have to kind of bring yourself back to that night, to the way that Ruth was feeling at that very moment, because at this point she did not know how her story would end, as this chapter really leaves us at a cliffhanger, some tension here, right? As Ruth now needs to wait to see what the outcome would be. As even Naomi said to Ruth in verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. You know, Christopher Ashe, he writes, just as there is tension at the end of Ruth chapter 3, so there is necessary waiting for us now. As we rejoice in our engagement to Christ, in our present engagement to him, And we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb that is yet to come. As we, like Ruth, was waiting until that anticipated wedding day. And so we wait, loved ones, as Ruth waited. But we wait confidently, just as Naomi exhorted Ruth to wait. We wait confidently because we know who our Redeemer is. And we know that he has promised that he has covenanted to redeem us. We know that our Redeemer is Jesus Christ. He is our kinsman Redeemer. He perfectly fulfills all that the older covenant kinsman Redeemer pointed to, foreshadowed. If you recall, there were three things that were necessary for the kinsman Redeemer to do in order to uh, redeem. He was first needed, as we said, he needed to be related by blood, He needed to be a blood relation. He needed to be part of the family. We see in the Lord Jesus, God became a man. He veiled himself in flesh, and he became like one of us. He became related to us. The Lord Jesus is God, but as our kinsman redeemer, he is human. We read that the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And so Jesus is related to us. He is our brother. He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. The kinsman redeemer in the old covenant also needed to be able to pay the price for redemption, as we said. He needed to have the means 
He had to have the required funds to be able to redeem the property or the person that was in slavery. And Jesus, we know, was able to redeem us from, we might say, the slave market of sin because he was able to pay the price. And that price was his own blood. As Peter says in chapter 1, verse 18 of his first epistle, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, uh, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. So Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, he's related to us by blood. He's able to pay the price, but we see, thirdly, that he was also willing to redeem us. Not only able, and not only um, had the means, but he was willing to redeem us. He voluntarily gave up his own life, and he came not to be served, but to serve, we read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is our Redeemer. He is our, our bridegroom who came into our world to redeem a bride for himself. All praise and all glory be to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ who has redeemed us from sin. We together wait the consummation when we will be joined with our Redeemer, our bridegroom, and for the marriage supper and the heavenly feast that will take place on that glorious day. Lord, we pray that you would write your word now upon our hearts and be with us this week as we seek to do your will and give you glory in thought, in word, and in deed. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.